My spicy take for everybody today is I am long AI. I think AI is going to have a big impact on society. I am short and skeptical of AI standalone companies. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain. I am your co-host, Kit Bodner. I am joined, as always, by Kieran Flanagan. And today we have a special guest, Steph Smith the host of the A16Z podcast and a person that Kieran and I are lucky enough to call a friend is decided to come on and talk all about AI with us today. Welcome, Steph. Thanks for being here today. What's up, guys? Good to be here. Steph, you've been tweeting a lot about AI. Kieran and I have been basically trying and using all the AI tools under the sun. And we've kind of been back channeling that. Where's this all going to go? It strikes me as that AI is the glimmer of hope in tech right now because like Web3 is collapsing. <laughs> you know, it's in its trough of despair. I'm still long Web3, but that's that's another podcast. And, you know, the, the macro recession is impacting SaaS and most of the other tech categories. And so everybody's optimistic about AI. And I guess my question to both of you is like, should we be optimistic about AI? Is it going to live up to the hype of the cycle that it's in right now? I think it's going to happen. I mean, I think we, we really are. I mean, if you think about what AI is, it's, it's trained on all of the internet in many cases, or at least if we use text as an example. And it's literally taking the minds of so many people throughout time and like giving it to you at your fingertips. It's, you know, Steve Jobs back in the day was like the computer is the bicycle of the mind. I think of AI as like the electric bicycle of the mind. Mm, I love that. You're trying to get somewhere just like you were before with the internet and Wi-Fi and a laptop. But you can get there so much more quickly and so much more effortlessly. And so, yeah, I think it's incredible that we have this at our fingertips. It will be interesting to see where many of the things that we think that humans are important for today may not be the case. So to give an example, right now, we think humans are really essential in this layer of prompting. I think not very long, uh, the computer is just going to do the prompting for you. As an example, you have a podcast, you want to create a sharing image. There's going to be a tool that basically transcribes your podcast. And based on that transcription, it generates your sharing image based on the transcription, not Mm -hmm. you coming up with a separate prompt. And it's going to take time to master that and refine it. But that's an example of where actually, you know, the only human requirement there is to just upload it, click a button. Right. And so, yeah, I am interested to see it, but I think it's I think at the very least it's exciting. Well, so I want to jump in right there because my spicy take for everybody today is I am long AI. I think AI is going to have a big impact on society. I am short and skeptical of AI standalone companies. Yes. I just don't think that most of these AI standalone companies are going to succeed and win. And I'd love to know what you all think of that. Well, I think we should break it down, right? Because to your point, there's going to be a bunch of, I think, indie builders or smaller builders who create these AI tools, but ultimately they're just going to be copied by the larger organizations. If you use something like Lex as an example, they're trying to build like the AI word processor. Well, ultimately they might have a little bit of a head start, but then something likely like Google Docs or Microsoft Word is just going to go and copy all of those features and they already have the distribution. I mean, this is exactly what, what Microsoft did with Slack, right? They basically let Slack have several <laughs> years of runway. And then they were like, oh, well, actually, we can reach everyone that we need to in this business audience. And then now there, I think more people use Teams than Slack, which always surprises me because I don't know anyone who uses Teams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the people who use Teams are sad, sad, yeah. lonely humans. Who are those people? One of the things we've learned in technology and software is that letting people use a product for free and bundling products together 
is a really effective way, even if you're not Microsoft, even if you're not Google, to get mass distribution and to get real adoption. And that is the problem that all these AI apps are going to have, is that if you look at all these AI apps, because they have real costs, there's no free version. But if you look at any of the platforms, whether you pick us at HubSpot or any of the other big SaaS platforms, we could give a free version of an AI platform away because we have the ability to cross-sell, upsell, have the have a high enough lifetime value of those customers that we could eat that cost for the free user base in a way that you just can't if you're a standalone AI tool. And it just seems to me that those tools are just going to get gobbled up because of those like the different value prop where it's like, oh, AI is magic. I can go use it for free over here. So like, that's where I'm going to use it. Canva just did this. This is Steph's point, which I agree with, is that distribution is the only thing that matters. Like Grammarly could have killed most of the writing space if it had bundled a tool already, right? Because they had mass distribution, but Canva had mass distribution. They added a freemium text-to-image uh, AI mm -hmm. component to their tool, which makes total sense. And I think that makes more sense for a lot of these tools to be integrated into a core product set versus be a standalone product set or be a standalone product. I mean, if you actually use the avatar example, what you had was a couple first movers. And then because they were all using Astria, Astria actually ran out of GPU servers. And then the price shot up as they were trying to get more. And then basically they all lost their margins because they were like, okay, at first it's this price. Oh, now Astria is increasing their price. We have to increase our prices, but we're also trying to compete to be this first mover and attract the most people. And ultimately you just saw those margins being shaved away. And I think that's only going to evolve over time as more people see, oh, you, you made $50,000 in two weeks. I want to do that. And then there's going to be, you know, 30 versions of that same product. And so my question for you guys is, is there a way to differentiate if you are not someone who has large distribution like a Microsoft or an existing product that's big like HubSpot, is there a way to build these AI tools like the avatar tools, like Lex, like Jasper, in a way where you can differentiate and really build a moat? Or is it really just about distribution? I think you do what happens in direct-to-consumer brands today, right? In that there's this, there's this brand called, I'm kind of fascinated by it at the moment, called Congo Brand. And so Congo Brand is behind is like behind a lot of these companies that are stood up by influencers. So one of the best examples or the most current examples is Prime, the drink. I don't know if you've heard of that drink that's fronted by KSI and Logan Paul. Two, two really Steph well known. Steph doesn't live on YouTube 24-7 yeah, okay, so like you and I. <laughs> they're really well-known YouTube influencers. Huge but to give YouTube you, influencers. Get, to give you a, you know, a little bit of how popular this has been, it's a $2 drink. You can buy these things on eBay for $50,000 because they get sold out so fast, right? Like it goes off the shelf. People have been put in jail for stealing it off other people because they want it so, so badly. Wait, these are drinks? Yeah. But they're collectibles, I guess, because people don't drink them. It's, a sport, it's like a sports drink. It's like a Gatorade. Oh. It's just Gatorade. And so what do they do? There is no differentiation between these drinks, right? And so the only differentiation is the marketing and community you can build around it. And so those direct-to-consumer brands have realized that if they stand them up, they look like they're owned by influencers and influencers can put all of their power into actually promoting that thing. And I actually think it's the same for these AI tools. You know, if I was a company trying to stand up one of these AI tools, I would probably try to have it fronted by someone that's really well-known in the space and have that person kind of use their star power to try to accelerate growth from my tool far faster. And so it has some sort of traction, meaningful traction in the market and, and can kind of take the air out of the category. If you are going to win 
as a modern day AI tool, you're gonna have to have very specific use cases. Where you, we saw this in subscription software, you, where you had really broad subscription software for a couple decades, and then there was a rise of what was called vertical subscription software, where you had specific subscription software for healthcare, for construction, for all, all these different industries. I think you're gonna see the same thing in AI, where they're gonna have, be very specific use cases, and that those companies will build kind of models on top of the kind of quote unquote generic AI model where it's like, hey, we're the best company in the world at you know blog article writing. And that makes us differentiated enough that we can actually scale and have a real value prop. I think that's what's gonna happen. Even if you do that, even if you have the real vertical use case focused, I think you still have to have a real clear distribution plan. Like Kieran talked about the influencer distribution. I believe you're gonna have to figure out how to have freemium economics because the first couple AI tools that can really go freemium, I think we'll see mass, mass adoption compared to the other tools in the market. Well, Lex is freemium. Lex is still like in beta, right? Like you can't just go and sign up for it, right? I think it's opening up a lot more. I mean, they okay, have a referral. Okay. Yeah. Once you join, you get five invites. By the way, Kieran, did you get your invite? Because I heard you on a prior episode saying- Yeah, yeah, I got it. I'm, I'm in there. <laughs> in there. I was it, actually- You made in. it. No, but what I was going to say is I think the point on specific use cases is really important here because Lex is actually, I think, a good example of where they did this strategy of reaching out to writing influencers early and then getting this hype cycle and everyone's talking about it on Twitter and it's, ooh, there's this secret tool that people are using and I was really excited- to use it and I have used it. But the question that my partner Cal actually asked me was like, have you ever used an AI tool in your work? As in, have you ever taken the output of something that you've played around with, whether it's Lex or some mm -hmm. of the other tools I've used? And you have, have you actually used it in your work? And I said, no. And again, it's because it's too broad. It's, oh, I want to create an image or I want to like play around and generate the next paragraph of this hypothetical article I might write one day. And I think Ultimately, that does play into this idea of monetization and pricing, because if Lex at some point does add a paywall, which eventually they're going to have to monetize. Have to. There's not a specific use case yet in that example for me to say, OK, I'm going to now pay for this. But I can think of several examples where if they just refined it, there would be. Yeah, I think the use case is search driven content and you don't create that. You create point of view content. It's true. If you wanted to just create how do I do product marketing? right? It actually probably will give you 80% of what you need, but I don't think that's the kind of content you have like really thought provoking, strong point of view content. It doesn't do that yet. And that's why I think that you're, you just see this huge avalanche of like SEO content, which is debatable how good that is for the world. And I have heard that Google is actually able to distinguish between those things and actually yeah, not penalize, but actually really tell the difference between AI written content for search and person. I don't know if that's true or not, but I agree that I think it's a strong use case for small brands who are trying to do kind of search driven content. I have not used it for any kind of like content. I'm just trying to tell a story or make a point or anything like that. I think I don't think it does, does a great job for that. Well, so, so that's what I would get back to. If we're, we're talking about the AI hype, I thought Cal's question that Steph raised was the right one is, have you ever used this for work? I, I have in a couple ways. I did updated version of my bio with Jasper, that was that was actually pretty good. And I shipped that oh, off. Wow. Like that, 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 that was pretty good. Kieran, I, I want to admit to everybody watching and listening that I almost trolled you 
I did a version of your performance review that was completely <laughs> written by Jasper. <laughs> and, I, and I almost submitted it. And I was like, no, I, gotta, I have to write a real one. Wait, wait, how accurate was it? Probably pretty accurate. <laughs> um, it wasn't bad. Yeah. Like, it, you know, it, it, it's probably like a, you know, if you're a mediocre manager, what you would say at a performance review, you know, but I thought that was just pretty funny. My, my confession there is I did do a version. I was like, this would be hilarious if I just did his review all with the <laughs> It's good, but it doesn't give you like anything in depth. The other thing that I was really curious is there's something in AI being a search engine. And one of the interesting things about the avatar space, you have this training model set coming from OpenAI or all these different places where like everyone's using the same API. But then I wonder, can you at some point upload your own data and try to augment that based upon your style of writing or based upon your imagery, which like the kind of avatars are based upon the images you upload. So I wonder if you're able to, in the future, augment the training data set with your own data to try to personalize it a little bit more towards the person or the company. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been thinking about too, because in certain cases, I'll just throw out one example. If you are someone who is an editor at a company and you need sharing images, well, you can go into OpenAI and generate some, but then they're all different colors and they don't really look uniform and and they're okay, but they don't look like your brand. And so if you can actually use your brand colors and say, I need these colors, and also I'm going to train it on all of the images that we've used on our blog before, that is so much better than what exists today. And I actually think that will come. But to your point, I think that actually might be a version of a moat for some of these companies if they can implement that. Because if you think about it, if you do have this training set on top of the underlying model and you bring people in and those people actually add to the reinforcement learning, right? As you bring in new users, they're adding their own training sets. And basically your model is learning more than other models. Then you do have some sort of mechanism where you have a moat that other people don't have if you are able to get enough users who help you do that training in effect. And so, yeah, I, I don't know when that's coming or if these underlying models are even going to not necessarily allow it, but like when they're going to add that functionality or if people can even build it today, that's like outside of my technical depth, but that will be a game changer, not just for the user, but for the companies that are able to add that layer on top of the base model. Yep. We'll be right back, but let me tell you about a podcast from our network. Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, your audio destination for business professionals. Join husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Their audience loves the show's unique blend of theory and practice, which helps business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. If you enjoy learning what makes people tick, then this is the show for you. Recently, they did an amazing episode on what makes your team say yes, exploring the psychology of influence. Phil Agnew shares his rich experience in behavioral science and delves into the intricate psychology of influence. They explore the fine line between influence and manipulation, uncovering how subtle cues and messaging impact team decision-making and motivation. Whether you're a leader, marketer, or anyone interested in the art of intelligence, this episode is packed with strategies and psychological principles to understand and harness the power of yes in teams and organizations. Listen to Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. We talk about AI, we talk largely about business use cases of individual humans. Like this human is looking for an image, this human's writing something, doing something of those things. 
And one of the things we've learned about software is that software has a real clear development life cycle. You start as kind of like boring manual tasks that you automate for one person. Then you move to like multiplayer playing in public software. You went from Photoshop to a product like Figma, for example. And what's going to happen in AI? Is, is there a future where AI is much better like multiplayer uh, and working across teams than it is just for an individual human or not? I w- would love to know what you think. You said you were like really bullish on the AI long-term. And so I break AI into like two stages and I want to be alive in the first stage and maybe not in the second <laughs> stage, right? <laughs> so I think AI is you're like your co-pilot to you, the pilot, right? Like you're the yeah. pilot, AI is the co-pilot. It's helping you do things, but literally you're still kind of in control. And then I think at some point it flips to like AI is the pilot and you're the co-pilot. <laughs> And hopefully or you're that's, just like yeah. not on the plane. <laughs> like, or you might not, yeah, depending upon what it really thinks about us, maybe not even on the plane. And I think to your point, does AI make a jump between a single player game to a multiplayer game? It really depends on the use cases. I think that AI for the most part at the moment is a single player game, but I can see like one of the things I would love for AI to solve. And I actually have seen a company just launch called Fundin is that one of the biggest problems in all companies is how to find documents. Very, very yeah. I was just thinking like, about this, like literally three minutes ago. <laughs> How do we not have AI helping find documents and, and logos? I, the average worker spends, uh, what is it? I, I saw the stats from their funding round, but like a couple of hours a day trying to find documents. The A like, couple of hours a day just trying to find documents. No one can solve this. I think AI can start to solve this thing for companies, which is like easily be able to find the things that you need to do. And that to me is a multiplayer game, right? Like that we were able to like, collaborate and more efficiently find the things we are able to do. And so those boring use cases are actually worth a lot of money. I suspect that, again, we are such at the early innings, but I, I bet you there's a ton of use cases that will be multiplayer games that AI can actually help with. But Kip, you're also saying that, you know, if we use Figma as an example, someone can mm-hmm. drop in a component and then I can build off of that component or I yes. can reuse it. Mm-hmm. I think yes. you're right. That will exist too, where people will, I mean, there's already these prompt libraries, right? So you can learn, oh, okay, this is the, one of the most common prompts that people are using. Let me integrate that. But you might also have that within your team, right? You might say, hey, these are like the the prompts that we've developed as a company and they're kind of proprietary, or these are the images that people have already created within my company. And then you like in-paint or out-paint or you use those as the base level images that the AI builds on top of. I don't know what else is going to exist, but I do think, yes, there's going to be like team level collaboration. Because right now, if you want to create an image, as an example, you're doing that on your own on yeah. your own laptop, no one sees any part of that process and you just see the end output. But I do think, yeah, there's going to be some sort of tool that allows you to integrate and learn and and kind of kind of jump past certain steps because people have already done them. Mm, yeah, yeah. Have you seen the prompt market? There's prompt marketplaces. So you yeah, can learn and then there's lexicaart.art. Have you seen that? That's also no. just like a, that's for stable diffusion and you can just see like basically all, I don't know if it's all of the, Images created with stable diffusion, but a lot of them. Oh, and I've you can seen, see the specific prompts. Yeah, and you can search by that. prompt. So that was actually really helpful for me in this idea of learning from other people. So I would go on there and notice, oh, okay, these are the popular prompts. But then I was trying to create this image of DNA with with AI and I couldn't do it. Something about the helix just kept messing up. So it would kind of do it, but not really. And so then I went in and looked up like helix DNA. And in there I was able to basically learn how other people, I looked at the best ones and say, oh, they integrated this or actually, oh, they're wow. they're talking about this completely other thing that I didn't consider integrating into the prompt. This is kind of my point, right? Is that 
AI might be the best multiplayer technology we've ever had. And the reason it might be is because when Steph says prompts, what she's saying is like the command, the instructions that you're giving to the program, to the software, to the AI. And before, like when just humans were doing that work, all those like creative briefs, programs, instructions just lived in our heads, right? It wasn't available anywhere. Now, all of those instructions are just open and available for everybody to see. And our ability to like learn and build upon each other's work is orders of magnitudes higher than it's ever been. The optimist in me says like, that's amazing. Like that is pretty freaking incredible that we're bringing all of this layer of work that humans have done in private for centuries and millennia to the forefront, which is, to me seems pretty amazing. I don't know if that's like me being overly optimistic or if you think that, if you do think that's actually going to happen. That's humans as co-pilots because then all the AI <laughs> needs is, it just needs the the data. The other thing that reminds me of, there's a one of my favorite series of all time is Tim Urban's when he, from Wait By Why when he described human evolution. And he had this really great thing where he showed humans were getting dumber, but because they were more connected, evolution was much faster. And that's what I think AI is going to do is make those cycles even shorter. Yeah. And so you're going to start to see evolution happen at such a rapidly accelerated rate. And so I agree. I think that at some point we think we're really special for certain cases and only we can do those things. And we'll realize pretty soon that, uh, we're not so special <laughs> and, not, and not needed as much. But I, again, I, I hope I live in the first phase where you can have like really great work-life balance and things like that because AI is doing all of the actual hard work. <laughs> so pretty sweet to me. I have a different type of question for you both in, in our discussion today. This episode is going to come out on the precipice of the holiday times uh, all around the world. People are going to be gathering with their family and seeing each other. And the topic of AI is probably going to come up at a lot of those family gatherings. What is your oversimplified like explanation of AI for somebody listening to the show that they could tell like their parents, their grandparents, their their family members who don't live in this world at all and have no context as to all the things we just spent, you know, half an hour talking about. What would you tell them? Kieran, I want you to start cuz I'm I'm struggling to come up with a definition because what my definition would have been a couple years ago is not what it would be today. Yeah. Because I think it's actually much more advanced than what I and I think many people expected a few years ago. I, I would say, look, mom, dad, <laughs> be afraid. <laughs> Termination has been started. <laughs> Enjoy. So you're, you're putting the movie The Terminator on before you start your explanation? <laughs> I put a Terminator on and I'm showing them some of those crazy, you know, AI-driven robot dogs <laughs> who are running around cities now policing. I think, look, I, I, I describe it as you're a, an incredible co-pilot. I actually don't call it a personal assistant because I actually think, you know, it's doing a disservice to AI. It's not like a, it's, it's just so advanced in terms of all of the things it can do. Personal assistant makes it sound like it's kind of doing your, you know, helping you do scheduling and all of those different mm -hmm. types of things. It's like a co-pilot, like you, whether you were in health, whether you were in fintech, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in business, that you have this incredible co-pilot to help you actually instrument your work and actually do work with you. But you still today anyway, dictate the strategy. So you're kind of still dictating and making the decisions, but you have this incredible co-pilot that can help you land the plane and actually get there. That's how I would kind of describe it. By the way, co-pilot, the developer tool that's built on AI, I was listening to an interview that uh, Stratechery did with one of the co-founders of it, and they specifically said originally they were targeting more of the pilot version of AI, where basically the AI says, hey, here's some code, 
and and it's done. Hmm. But since code is binary, if code is ever even just a little bit wrong, it won't work. So instead, they adjusted it so that they instead were a copilot. I think that's maybe why it's named copilot, where instead it just suggests things, as you're saying, Kieran. It's, hey, yeah. maybe this is like an interesting way to integrate this code. And maybe 70% of the time is good, 30% of the time it's absolutely awful, or maybe even 5% it's complete genius, where you're like, oh my gosh, I would I would never have thought of solving this particular problem right. this way. So yeah, that, I think that's a good way to explain it to friends and family. I will say, when I played around with the avatar tools, I was like, this is amazing. I can't <laughs> believe this exists. And then I went and I posted it on Instagram because on Twitter, everyone's freaking out. Everyone's, this is so exciting. And I posted on Instagram expecting my friends who are outside of this tech world to be like, oh my gosh, like equally excited. And it was total crickets. I think I had you know, <laughs> one reaction of someone being like, you know, surprised face or something. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like really? Is no one, is no one so excited nerds. by this? Yeah. And I think that was actually a reminder that especially for people who are deep within innovation, it's very exciting to see how quickly technology evolves. But it's also a reminder that adoption is often much slower than the innovation. So like human habits are so rigid and inertia is a strong force. And so one example that I keep sharing is I read this article recently about a bunch of people in Japan who still use floppy disks. And I think one of their ministers (laughs) literally made it his mission to rid the country of floppy disks because in 2022, they still exist. And so I think even though it's very exciting to be like, AI is here, and even today, there are very real use cases that the technology already solves. I think there's just so many people across the 7 billion on earth that are like, they're just not going to care or that it's going to take much longer than we expect for them to actually adopt it. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Twitter is a very small subset of the world that's really dominated by like nerds, geeks, and you know. Congrats, Elon, for buying buying the nerd haven of the internet. Yeah, zero, zero percentage of my outside tech network use Twitter. I think that's a really good reminder. Okay, so uh, I want to do a couple rapid fire questions before we, we finish up. We're sitting here a year from now doing the doing the show again, coming back to AI. What is the biggest surprise a year from now you think we will all have as it relates to AI? Ooh, Kip, do you have one? I will start. Mine is I think we will be shocked by the lack of adoption, what we were just talking about. I think we will expect that the actual practical usage will be way further along a year from now than it actually will be in practice. I might agree. It's hard to say, but I think we probably, hopefully if marketing against the grain is still going, like we'll probably be doing the exact same thing. It'd actually be interesting (laughs) to think through what about these processes will change. I think Darren's still going to be here. You two are still going to be here. You're still going to be using a recording tool. You're not going to be AI generated. Maybe you'll use some AI to generate like topic descriptions or like show notes or something like that. Maybe you'll use it for prep, but like you're still going to be here. You're still going to be doing a lot of the same things for the podcast as you are today. I think it's the standalone use cases that people do find useful right now, even though it's a small set of people will be integrated into the platforms. I think platforms will just bolt on some of these AI features very easily and start to kind of... So does that mean you think it's going to be super mainstream? Because if Microsoft I, and all these people adopt it, like that's kind of counter to what I'm, I'm saying. You believe it would it's going to actually have a lot more mainstream adoption. I, I think we'll see. I think it will just be a like, oh, like this, just what Canva did. Yeah, we'll just integrate this into the platform. It's not going to create another hype train, but it will be really, it will be easier to use as part of an existing platform you're already using rather than having to go to all of these, all the different tools and using them. I think it will just be oh, now I have this AI assistant in the CMS that I have. Now I have this ability to create images in this 
design platform that I already am using. So I think we'll be better integrated into existing platforms. But I don't think we're going to see like any kind of magnitude of change to the way that we operate. Except performance reviews. Except performance <laughs> reviews. They're all going to be done by AI. I can't wait until AI writes by performance reviews. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Kind of follow up to that, what you're just saying. Is the average person, is the person outside of technology, are they going to realize they're using AI? Or are they just going to realize, oh, it's just this thing does it, this other thing for me? Uh, do you think AI is going to be like, a thing in the mainstream consciousness, or is it just going to be, oh, the technology I'm using is just easier and that's cool. Do you think your mom and dad or grandpa or whatever are gonna talk about AI or are they gonna be like, oh no, it's really cool that like it recommends these photos for me to send to you. I think you're bringing up a good point, which is that actually a lot of this is integrated into existing products already and people have no idea that it's AI, right? Or at least they don't frame it that way. And so yeah, when someone does a Google search, there's artificial intelligence or at least machine learning going on in the background to generate the answer or, you know, Descript is a tool I use for editing. Yeah. There is machine learning happening to actually transcribe things, but also they're building a ton of new features in that will likely integrate AI, but people using the tool won't be like, oh, this is like a new thing. It's just building on top of the platform that already exists. I've been using Grammarly for years. I don't go, I love Grammarly because it has AI. I love Grammarly because it stops me looking like a moron online. (laughs) But I don't think it's going to be like standalone. I need to use these AI, this AI functionality. All right, before we go, the best, most favorite AI tool you've used up to this point. I played with this tool. I don't know what it's called because it was, have you guys seen Replicate? It's just a website where you Mm. can, there's like several um, models that exist on Replicate and it basically runs the GPUs in the back end. And I found this one, it, basically helps you animate from two prompts from one to the other. Oh, I saw that. That's sick. I saw you tweeted about it. Oh, wow. And it's not so much that that has such a special use case, but it actually, to me, signaled how right now, you know, we started with text-to-text, then it was text-to-image, and then it's text-to-video is coming. And I just think it's pretty cool to imagine that you could literally come up with an animation or a film in your head, a storyline, and then that could actually be implemented through AI. And so... Again, it's not so much that specific tool, but it was like, oh, like this is coming. And it was kind of exciting. Mm, that is cool. I like the prompt marketplace just because I really do think the skills are in learning how other do prompts. Like I was reading a really great article from a designer. I don't know if you've heard the story where I, there was a really big art competition in the US a year back. And the graphic that won was all done by AI, but someone obviously had to do the prompts to actually create mm-hmm. the graphic. And they used multiple iterations to actually create that graphic. I was loads of controversy. And he kind of talked through the, how he iterated through different prompts to get to where he wanted to be. And I really think understanding how to do the prompts, I've called it coding for creatives, is the really fascinating part of AI right now. By the way, fun fact, I actually learned this from the Hustle Daily Show. Do you guys know what the most common prompt or the most frequented prompt on stable diffusion, what it's been? Oh, no. No. So most people would guess, I've asked a couple of people this, or like cat or something, or maybe something not safe for work. It's this guy, Greg Ritkowski, I think is his name. So it's a specific artist, and he just has this very, very detailed look that people like in his art. And so this is, you know, probably fodder for another episode, but there is a question around, okay, these AIs are building off of existing people's work. And if they're dead, like if it's Monet, maybe that's fine. If they're alive, maybe that's fine too. But that's just like an open question Mm, as people venture into this world. Because yeah, that was the most common prompt or part of a prompt in stable diffusion. 
Uh, one that's fascinating too, I think as, as technologies evolve, like in the early days, the margins are high because there, you don't have to pay any, anybody else. And then we saw with the streaming music industry, we've seen with YouTube that you then have to start paying people and having a rev share and doing licensing deals and all of these things. It seems like that's an inevitable part of the future of AI, but that is a whole nother show. And that's going to be awesome. I would love to thank Steph Smith for being here. Steph, before we leave, give a quick shout out for the pod and one of your favorite episodes that's coming up on the new pod. So if people want to find the A16Z podcast, you can find it wherever you find your podcast. It's called the A16Z podcast. And you can also find it on YouTube. Like you guys, we decided, hey, we're going to be video first. So you can search A16Z or I think the URL is youtube.com slash A16Z underscore video. We're working on that handle. <laughs> and then in terms Good of call. episodes, so... One of our upcoming episodes that people might find interesting, and we also touched on things like AI in this episode, is we had Neil Stevenson join. And if people aren't familiar, Neil Stevenson is the guy who coined the term metaverse almost exactly 30 years ago. So kind of crazy that you could see that far ahead to a degree. And in his book, Snow Crash, which is where he coined it, he also coined the term avatar, which we talked about today. And so very relevant uh, to just consider where some of this technology might go. And that episode is dropping next week. So there's some episodes already in the feed if people want to get a head start, but that one's coming. That's all. I have that book. That is awesome. I will listen. Yeah. Awesome. Check out the A16 podcast. Please leave us a comment on YouTube or review on Apple Podcasts. And we will see you next time on Marketing Against the Grain.